good evening, Tennis fans and fans of the Doubles Alley podcast. Uh, COVID-19 may stop the tennis tour, but it hardly poses any threat to the Doubles Alley. So we are gathered here tonight to talk tennis, things related to tennis. Um, if any of you have been watching Tennis Channel, you will notice that they've been doing uh, many tributes to the great matches over the last 10 or 15 years, lots of the finals. But we want to dig a little bit deeper into the tennis archives. And so since we don't have much of a but to look back, we've got uh, some special treats for you tonight. Uh, who do we have with us here in the podcast this evening? We've got Philip. I'm here in Paris uh, in total confinement. And Peter here in, uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and uh, enjoying work from home. Um, yeah, I think, I think that, that sounds like maybe one of the best, best uh, effects of COVID-19 is being able to work from home. No traffic. <laughs> and, I, and I'm broadcasting here from Miami, Florida, the heart of the world's uh, most impressive pseudo-lockdown. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm glad we're all here. I know that um, normally the three of us would be making our annual pilgrimage to Mallorca um, to pay homage to Mallorca's second greatest tennis player, Juan Carlos Moya. Um, he did some damage in bars back in the day. <laughs> he did some damage. We would have done some damage in the bars, except for the fact that, I, I, at least speaking for myself, most of my money went uh, to the cab ride going from the airport to the hotel. <laughs> so there was hardly anything left. That was literally uh, a 95 euro cab ride. Yeah, and then whatever loose change I had, I lost it while we were rock climbing, mainly because I kept sliding down. So, um, speaking of sliding down, actually, let's we've got we've got some fun things uh, for our fans tonight. But first, before we get into tennis, since I'm sure all of us are sometimes rebels without a cause or perhaps with a cause, what would you consider your greatest act of civil disobedience during this, uh, you know, lockdown on our freedoms? Now, maybe we can start with you, Phil. Um, so I'm not sure if this counts as disobedience, um, but I, uh, I've been re reaching way back to girls who rejected me like multiple <laughs> years ago and a few have actually like, you know, engaged and so I've been like proposing, you know, we can't really go to like bars or restaurants. So like, why don't you come over, uh, for dinner at my place and stuff like that. Um, I haven't had any takers yet. One uh, countered with offering a walk, offering to go on a walk instead. But you know, uh, um, that would really that would break the rules to like see someone new. Um, but I'm I'm soldiering on. Uh, Phil, my my teacherly opinion is that more than passes the civil disobedience <laughs> smell test. <laughs> that ranks very high. And I think we, we, Peter and I may have a tough time topping you there, but, but we'll give it a shot. Yeah. So I guess mine is, I don't know, I'm just becoming like a worse, an all-around worse person. Um, <laughs> the, like, in terms of my civil disobedience is becoming a worse citizen. Um, I, watched, I watched 36 episodes of Love Island um, last week. Um, and, uh, you know, I... So much fundraising and charity stuff going on. I haven't really contributed much, um, just hoarding my own shit. Um, yeah, just just being a bad citizen, really. Mm. 
I mean, if being judgmental of other people's approach to COVID-19 is a form of civil disobedience, then I, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, uh, I could be citizen arrested by my wife amongst other people. Uh, I would say my greatest act of civil disobedience is entirely uh, in keeping with the spirit of this podcast where I go and play, play tennis three, four times a week. Um, it, it could also be considered an act of masochism because often one, if not two of the people involved in the tennis game are over the age of 60. But uh, I've, been, I've been trying to get out there. At first, I paid off the, jam- the maintenance guy, the guy who cleans the courts. I gave him 15 bucks, and he would, he would open up an extra court for me. And then I contacted the father of one of the kids I used to tutor and asked them, hey, I, I, I'm, I don't know if you have any more kids. I'd be willing to offer them some, some discounted tutoring if I could just use your tennis court. And then he said, actually, no, you know, my daughter ended up going to Middlebury, and now she's at UVA Business School. We appreciate all you did for us. So come on over to the house and play. So That's anyway, right. I'm milking the past in my own way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so today, uh, what's on the schedule? We're going to, I don't know, because we can't really watch tennis. It's sort of open this this period of where we're allowed to be nostalgic. And um, what we're going to do is give our lists. Everyone always talks about the greatest of all time, like referring to a lot of different players. But we're going we're gonna to give our top ten lists for men, greatest men's singles players in the open era. Um, and uh, be, But before we do that, we wanna, we're going to do another aside because, you know, there's plenty of time. Um, so, Mark, what do you think is the most arbitrary, greatest of all time you've, uh, you've sort of encountered? You know, having helped um, some students compose, edit their essay, actually, Phil, as you know, as somebody who likes writing, I end up just sort of... So nauseating to even look at them. Like, you're just tell me what the prompt is, I'll write it. But... Uh, and for me, and, I, and maybe this is a little bit too pedantic, but I feel like the most arbitrary is what is the greatest invention ever? Because, in, in fact, it's really based on so much. Um, it's so subjective. It's so individualized. I mean, sometimes I actually think the snooze alarm is, is the greatest invention ever. <laughs> it's relative to the time. <laughs> I mean, cave art, maybe us, uh, all three of us sort of like art. So just because... It's so generationally um, specific and subjective. I, I would say that in and of itself, just because that question gets asked a lot. But yeah, I'm still a big fan of the snooze alarm. <laughs> no, notice that the advent of so many other technologies, the iPhone 11 still uses the snooze alarm. <laughs> yeah, that one really has endured. Um, yeah. I'm actually anti-snooze alarm because my college roommate would snooze like for every five minutes for like two hours, and it it really just yeah that was. Well, what, what do you think of the max on that? Before before we you know get to our to the intended aside here, what do you think should be the the fair over under, you know for for snoozes four or is that too much? I think three three is the max. Peter. Is the real goal that you should just set your alarm at the right time, or or it doesn't matter what time you set it for, just you can sort of. Yeah, 
I'm I'm torn on this because I'm definitely Phil. a snoozer. I I get one or two snoozes in. Um, I think it's got to be three because if you're snoozing more than three times, <laughs> like you gotta like get your shit together for when you when you uh, set your alarm <laughs> in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, and my, my my arbitrary greatest of all time is um Philly cheesesteaks. Uh, <laughs> I feel like everyone's everyone's saying theirs is the best, but you know, they the ingredients are so like crappy, <laughs> and like it's sort of better the crappier the ingredients. So it's just like, mm. what are you really saying? <laughs> I agree with you. Well said. Well said. That's good. That's good. I like it. That's a good one, because, like, yeah, it's something that everybody can actually kind of do. Um, being the greatest doesn't really differentiate you <laughs> from being that much from being, like... It's also the most unprovable. The sample yeah. size of evaluators is somewhere around 10, anyway. It's not only arbitrary on its face. It's actually entirely... There's... There's so few people actually vetting the product <laughs> yeah. without any without any established level of expertise anyway. Yeah, like food critics are going to a Michelin star restaurant. <laughs> yeah. So I um I uh I just I was thinking about this. I landed on goldfish. I think greatest goldfish of all time is like unprovable. It's <laughs> worthless, it's pointless. I was thinking about, like, cardboard boxes. But, you know, if you make a cardboard box that's one cent cheaper, that can, like, become a billion-dollar company, you know? Uh, I was thinking about, like, dog, but people actually care about dogs. If you say you have the greatest goldfish ever, that's not even that cool a fish. And I'm sure people would say they have the greatest goldfish ever. Yep. I didn't quite, I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. Um, but, uh... But now that it came, I, it makes a lot of sense. You get I don't some randomness points for that one. Do, but if anybody says it, I'm going to refer them to you, and you can you can uh, dress them down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, cool. So let's uh, let's get on with it. Um, greatest ten tennis players of all time. Um, have you all written yours down? I think we have. Do we? Do you want to see? Do we just go one at a time? Yeah, yeah. Let's unveil our picks from ten to one. You know, uh, snake around. Yeah. So, so Peter, who do you have for ten? All right. This was a tough one, and I think I used some outside of the box criteria here, but I have Pat Rafter. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think, so, I think uh, a lot of the appeal of tennis is just how good looking these players are, and he's the best looking ever, and that should count for something. Yeah, and he won two Grand Slams, so he's not like I don't know. <laughs> it's not. It's not like John Michael Gamble or something. He, he has a three and zero head to head against Federer. <laughs> oh, that's that's good. Uh, yeah, he and he also was in one of the greatest like under-the-radar matches ever in the 2001 Wimbledon final. He lost mm. it, but that was yeah. one of those matches that gets lost, he, but it's, it was amazing. Do you think he lost slightly on purpose for style points? I mean, the guy already was <laughs> irresistible with the ladies, but just to say I deferred to a Croat 
who had been trying to win this title for about 10 years, and it just felt like the gentlemanly thing to do. <laughs> I do not think he, he did that, but so I, wouldn't, a, I wouldn't put it past him. Here's a question. So is the are we taking the inverse into account for this as well? Like, is Lendl docked a few places because <laughs> of uh, nope. his... I don't uh, know. I, I would say the extremes get more weight because... <laughs> It's it's almost more impressive. Like think about think about it this way. Like probably probably like ninety percent of the players are in the top five percent of best looking people in the world. Um, and if you're not, it, think it's probably some sort of contributing factor to like the confidence that enables you to get that good at the sport. Yeah, imagine um, being top five in the world at tennis and still not getting laid. <laughs> it doesn't happen, Phil. <laughs> Phil I'm, just, pretty sure, no, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Stepanek was uh, top five at some point. <laughs> but Phil, there's there's nobody in the top five hundred who doesn't get me. I'm sorry. <laughs> but 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 I guess um, that's the long way of saying like it's. Yeah. I think there is maybe a tougher degree of difficulty for being less good looking and getting that good at tennis. Yeah, it's just the tougher degree of difficulties if they're going after the same girl. Yeah, that's <laughs> Which is why my number 10 is Ivan Lubitsch. Uh, just kidding. Um, I have Agassi at 10. Um, yeah, he. it's sort of interesting. Like, uh, I mean... I kind of didn't want him on my list because his, like, grandiloquizing of everything kind of gets on my nerves now. Um, but it was just impossible for me not to. Uh, his his uh, eight Grand Slams, his, his 101 weeks at number one, um, he was an icon. Uh, I did, I watched him play quite a bit, and uh, at least in his second phase, like, bald Agassi, was actually like um, a force for like between 2002 and 2004 and that was like only one of his phases like uh yeah yeah like uh, he's a guy who had multiple incarnations and was good in all of them so yeah he was uh he was just someone i couldn't keep off the list even if i kind of wanted to so um i have him i i, I you know i i uh I sort of cheated here a little bit. I did a tide for 10 uh, between Agassi and Lendl. You know, Agassi would be my emotional preference, but I think Lendl made the U.S. Open final eight times in a row. Um, Agassi also won all so four he majors. Was, he was LeBron of the U.S. Open. Yeah, yeah. Agassi won all four majors, and he won the Olympics. Um, he also married the best tennis player of any professional player of, of all time. He happens to be only the second best player in his family. But, uh, you know, you see. Yeah, where so did, where does Steffi Graf rank in the female? So would it be Serena, then Steffi? Probably, and then one of the older ones that we know nothing and about. Like, like Helen Wills Moody or something. But, yeah. Yeah. Just so, yeah, I am tied. Lendl just had this hardcore beast. Um, you know, he was... Uh, Probably anybody who was coming from Eastern Europe at the time was starting with some handicaps anyway. Uh, the, a, the amount of money they had to pay back to their own government for a while. B, just probably there were some limiting, you know, as juniors, they probably I literally couldn't get out and play the sport or travel as much. 
but I think his second act was also pretty impressive. Pretty damn boring player, but I guess if I had to just choose one, I'd choose Agassi, but if I can throw him in there as a tie for 10, then I'll throw Man, him I'm, I'm surprised you have Agassi so low. What, he's like your favorite player ever. Yeah, I just I feel like there were so many... Da- um, he had the longevity. He got almost all he could out of his game when he wanted it, but there was too many dips as well. Um, maybe some of the players he beat in the finals of the Aussie Open weren't that great. You know, his other majors were very impressive. Even his French Open, his draw was was a little easier. So, I mean, you know, if you're just asking, no, it's still, I would say top 10 of all time. It's still, you know, I'm, I'm still, still really scratching good. him on the back a lot. Yeah. Peter, okay. who's 10 for you? No, he's Pat Rafter. Oh, yeah, Rafter. Rafter. Okay, who's 9 for you? 9 is Rod Laver. And I know he's like an icon of the sport. I know he's um, the person who everybody has to bow down to at every single major. I know know he's like the only person to win a single calendar year grand slam on, on the men's side, but like, let's be honest, we've all seen the clips and that, that tennis quality was way worse (laughs) back in the day. And the athletes were a lot worse. And, um, and, uh, the talent pool was a lot like more was a lot less global and less filtered and um you know it's fun watching him he was very athletic can't can't put that past him but i i just don't want to give credit to the old dogs i don't want to give he, he's in my top 10 okay he's begrudgingly sure. in my top 10 yeah i'll talk uh, i'll yeah. talk about labor when i uh when i reach him but i, I have him a little higher yeah, so who's your number nine? Um, I had Connors at nine. Um, he's another one I didn't like that much, but who uh, who I just couldn't fathom like not having the top ten. Like he he was world number one for two hundred sixty seven weeks. Uh, that's insane. Um, that's like um that's like over five years. Um, he won eight Grand Slams. He he was like the original person playing until 39 years old um and he uh yeah he he just uh as much as i would have liked to not include him on the list like it was just impossible for me not to do yeah i am i am at nine as well um he probably was my favorite player growing up he was very gritty you know i i would say he's the american Nadal. He definitely um, never won an easy point in his life, but he never quit. The other, my only other thing that I want to say about Connors is when he was thirty-seven. No, when he was thirty-eight or thirty-nine, I think he was thirty-nine. We'll call it a nineteen ninety. He was playing in the French Open against Michael Chang. I think in the second round, he knew he couldn't make it through the whole match. He was a little injured, but he said he wasn't quitting until he was one point ahead of Chang. He was down two sets to one. Connors won the fourth set. He won the first point of the fifth set, and he retired. He said, I'm not <laughs> quitting until I'm one point ahead of Chang. <laughs> and I just, I, I, to That's me, fun. that epitomized. Just never he didn't play out the, he didn't say, shit, let's play out the fifth set. <laughs> no, he just said, I just want to quit when I'm one point ahead of this guy. <laughs> did, Chang win, did, did Chang win the tournament that year? It was the year after Chang won the tournament. Okay. That's so different from the Federer mentality of, uh, I'm not going to withdraw. Just let him finish me off. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, I, I actually had Connors. He got bumped. Um, if, if, I did not in, if I did not factor in Rafter's off-court appeal, um, he, uh, or if I would have had Connors at 10. Okay. Guys, can I, if I could just read this one more time. Sorry, Connors was actually a little older. Okay. Jimmy Connors lashed a backhand return for the break as he walked to the chair for the changeover. Everybody stood up and roared. The noise didn't cease as Connors got up, poured water over his head to wash away the sweat, wrapped his face in the towel, and returned to the court to serve out the four set against M Michael Chang. He um, won the set. He then won the next, the first point of the fifth set, and he walked off the court. <laughs> he, was, he was 38. <laughs> He said he did not win the fifth set in the match. He won the first point of the final set and had called it quits. His heart was willing and the body was not. His back had ached from the third set. He would not be able to walk up the stairs to the locker room without help. I'm the last guy who's going to stop a match, but he said I'm going to play until I'm one point ahead. So, so what word um, describes that better? Bastard or curmudgeon? <laughs> stud, man. That's a total stud. <laughs> Mind you, he was also ranked 324th at the time because he'd been out with a wrist injury the whole year. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So who's up? Who, so we we all did our nines. So I'll, I'll do number eight. Eight, okay. I had uh, the Aussie Ken Rosewall. I'm looking at his stats here. He won uh, 24 majors, eight grand slams. I think he was number one at the end of the year six different times. So I have him as my uh, my my first of two Aussies in the top ten. He he, he won uh, four Open Era Grand Slams. So yeah, it's hard to say with these guys. I actually liked uh, Newcomb's game a little more than Rosewall's, just based on the like. I've watched the Wimbledon final in nineteen seventy and the one in nineteen seventy one, where like Labor plays like against each of them, and I liked. Uh, Newcomb's game more, but Rosewall does have the better open era stats. So you know, if you're gonna throw in one of those guys, why not? Why not Rosewall? That's fair. Yeah. Peter, who's your eight? You mean why not Newcomb or why not Rosewall? Yeah, I mean you got if if you're gonna say hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna jazz it up with one of Labor's uh comp competitors. Yeah, you could go. You could go Newcomb or Rosewall, but like, yeah, Rosewall has a slightly better open era statistics. Yeah. So at eight, I have this man is the the greatest ever in a few arbitrary categories. He is the greatest tennis announcer ever. He's the greatest old guy tennis player ever, and he's got one hell of a weird. Um, uh, service motion, one hell of a weird backhand stroke, and one hell of a weird forehand stroke. I've got John McEnroe. Yeah, he was my eight as well. Yep, that's uh, that's me as well. Oh no, no wait, no sorry, I have him at, at seven. Yeah, so yeah, McEnroe. Uh, I never. Yeah, I mean, I did. I wasn't. I didn't see him play like contemporaneously, but I mean, he won. Eight majors, eight or seven. No, he won seven majors. He he was the one who dethroned Borg. He's uh, yeah. His contribution to the sport goes beyond what he did on the court. Um, 
but by all accounts he was like had one of the most dominant stretches in tennis history like in like the early 80s um and so yeah he's uh yeah he's ahead of connor's and agassi for me yeah he's got the stats to back it up um well said about the contribution beyond the sport although he might have had negative contribution to the sport with some of his attitude um on court but uh his yeah i mean one thing that's weird about his career... Well, I mean, the sport didn't have many checks and balances then. You know, he can't, yeah. the rules weren't really in place, so he just stretched whatever were the unspoken rules as far as he could. Yeah. I think what's a little strange about him, he was an 18-year-old phenom, right? And he didn't, he didn't actually... Um, he, it, it's, it's, it's a little um, odd that he only ended up with eight majors. Um, uh, it, it, he might be one of those who like peaked a little early and that may be what's holding him back from the top five. Yeah, I mean, it just like wasn't really a thing to pay, play past like 28, like back then. Like yeah. we're in an era where 35 is like the average now of like <laughs> the top five. Um, back then it was like, unfathomable but uh yeah another thing about McEnroe is uh 109 weeks at number one that's pretty solid and his or wait no 170 weeks at number one and his peak elo ranking was the third highest ever um with uh 2578 um so yeah he he's not just a guy with an attitude he was like actually a amazing tennis player so he he fully earns the number eight spot yeah mark who uh, who did you say so you had him at seven um peter who did you have at seven seven i've got uh yvonne mundell um i think uh i think his looks do prop him up a little bit <laughs> i think i think um He's, he's just a guy, if you go through past draws, he is deep in, like, every single tournament. Oh, um, sure. He's, like, the guy who, when you hear McEnroe talk about his time, is, like, the biggest bitch to play. Um, yeah, he's just one of those, like, classic grinders who just, like, mm. is fucking tough. And Nine, 270 weeks at number one, 94 singles titles. Won eight majors, eleven runner-ups. It's hard to argue against that. Yeah, <laughs> longevity is a major part of his argument. He earned every part of his resume. Yeah, people I mean, don't want to admit how good, good he coach, was. Good coach too. He's been a great coach. He got Murray over the hump, did he not? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he was my number six actually. I had him a little higher than you had him. Um, yeah, just because. Okay, look back at the eighties. Uh, there are a lot of like sexy picks, but. Who is like the guy you Djokovic. don't want to play against in the entire 1980s? Like, um, he's like Djokovic. Yeah, 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 if, if yeah. you if you see yeah. a guy in a draw, it's just like shit. I'm playing this guy today. I think Yvonne Lindell is that guy. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I I think um, and uh, it's like I think his basketball analog would be Tim Duncan. It's not yeah. sexy, but he's got all the fundamentals, and you really don't want to fucking see him on the other on the other team. Yeah, yeah. he was like Duncan and Robert Ory in one. Yeah. 
It's a, it's a, it's a good analogy. Yeah. The, uh, Mark, who was your yeah, seven? Yeah. I'm sorry? Who was your seven? Uh, my seven was uh, was McEnroe. Okay. Um, mine is uh, Sampras. I have him a lo- little lower than probably a lot of people would. Um, I, I, yeah, I just thought uh, I, put, I, I th- thought I had to put Lindell ahead of Sampras, um, mostly because of That's what so we were just tough. saying. Six straight years at number one for Sampras, plus, um, plus uh, fourteen majors, plus, um, plus like uh, Bridget Wilson. Oh yeah, the girlfriends probably put Sampras over the top. Yeah. yeah. You you convinced me. Uh, I have I'm now switching them. Lendl at seven, Sampras at six. Um, yeah, Sampras was my favorite player growing up. I think the the first tennis match I really thought was just awesome. Like when I was a kid, that like sort of hooked me was his uh, match against uh, Karecha in the U.S. Open, where he was throwing up and still won. And then his like smoking hot girlfriend comes out from the crowd and like helps him off court. Um, and and his like general just rotation of new hot girlfriends every three months was was something the young guys today should take note of. Um, yeah, unprecedented, spectacular. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, what you were saying about grand slams and stuff. Mark, who's your six? My six is uh, is Borg. Um, could have gone a little higher, could have gone a little lower, but I, I have Borg at six. Uh, incredibly consistent. Obviously, his career wasn't that long, but I think didn't he win the French and the, and Wimbledon five times in a row? Both yeah. of them five times in a row. Maybe they were offset by a year, but I mean to have to be able to switch the services like that. I know he didn't win the U.S. Open. I don't even know if many of the players played Australia. Yeah, well, in that era, they didn't really go to Australia, so his count would be higher. I think I think he maxed out. Um, you know what Djokovic did last decade. You know he accomplished almost as much. And and I mean Djokovic is from 2010 to 2000, end of 19 was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. I think what 16 majors during that time, or 15 or 16. You know, but Borg definitely maxed out those six, seven, eight, nine years, whatever it was, where he was, you know, uh, both feet into the sport, um, incredibly consistent. I didn't get to watch him a lot. At least I don't remember watching him a lot, but I just know he was the gold standard at the time. Yeah, I I had Borg at six as well. Amazing hair, unbeatable Mm. for his peak Borg, um, better than peak McEnroe, better than peak Lendl. Um, he was also channeled in um, the uh, Royal Tenenbaums as well. I can't yeah. say the other players yeah. have been. It, it, it's a shame his career didn't last longer. He might be the biggest what-if in the history of the sport. <laughs> didn't he retire at like 25? 26 or something, yeah. Yeah, like biggest what-if in the history of the sport because it's really – he could be number one, honestly, for people who don't value longevity um, but because he was just so dominant. A certain point in time, um, but I just think that longevity matters, and that's what's holding him back from the top five. But at the same time, um, you got to give him, you got to tip the scales his way um, against sort of pretty much all others from that era. 
Yeah. Um, my number five was labor. Um, yeah, what you were saying about uh, comparing eras. I mean, I think the main... Uh, Sorry, Phil, who was your number six? Uh, Sampras. Or no, Lendl. Lendl, okay. No, no, Sampras. Yeah, I switched Sampras and Lendl. So, Sampras six, Lendl, uh, Lendl seven. Yeah, so, so Laver, I had him at five because, like, okay. Yeah, he probably wouldn't be, like, top 100 today, but that's not what I judge these guys by from different eras. It's, like, you can only really compare level of dominance um, because the sport really, it does evolve. So if you're just doing highest level, like, Diego Schwartzman might have a higher level than John McEnroe, you know? Uh, probably not, but he might. Um, but, like... Laver was the most dominant tennis player maybe ever. And uh, one another thing I like about him is that he had just like a very smooth game. He inspired Roger Federer in that way. Um, and also he was like five foot eight, which you know I really reson really resonates with me. Um, yeah, with that era, one thing that like John Newcomb had this like nuke of a serve. He was like basically played like Milos Raonic, and he was six foot zero. Like he was the big guy, whereas like big guys today are like a foot taller than him. Um, and so it's just like yeah, the sport progresses, but like uh, dominance is real, and he really fucking dominated. Um, and so yeah, uh, he gets the number five spot for me. Peter did his number five yet or no? Um, I'm realizing I miscounted. Um, but so I guess Borg was my number five. Uh, I only had nine. I only listed nine now that I'm. <laughs> yeah. so, I, I might do my number ten and I'll put uh, I'll, I'll give it to Agassi. Um, actually, Ra I'll put I'll put Agassi at nine because Raptor is still my ten. Um, <laughs> But, everybody's got everybody's got their bromance. It's but okay. yeah, it's yeah, okay. Agassi, Agassi, man, is just like a, a uh, generational talent. Like, not much more you can say than that. Like, the man was born to strike a tennis ball, and no matter how much he didn't want that to be his gift, it was his gift. And no matter how much he did want that to be his gift, it was his gift. <laughs> not, not, not only was he born to strike a tennis ball, he was born and immediately started striking tennis balls. He's the one in like 500,000 whose dad tricks him to do something and it actually turns out that he is otherworldly gifted at it. Um, it's it's uh, remarkable story um when he's when when you see him on the court uh he's even if he loses and even if it's against somebody who's greater than him on this list he is not outclassed yeah that's a good point yeah so yeah Mark there's no by the way there's nobody who sandbagged the competition played the role of the uh you know, uh, Goodwill hunting better than Agassi. I mean, that whole, 
you know, I don't like the sport. I'm sick of it. I don't really care. I mean, Kyrgios tries, but he just doesn't do it as well. I mean, <laughs> Kyrgios has never been, like, top ten in the world. Agassi yeah, won Wimbledon, you know? Competition's pretty brutal, I would say. Ag- now, Agassi was making semis of, like, I was looking back at, like, 1988, 1987 draws, and as, like, a 16, as like a 17-, 18-year-old, he was making semis of majors. I mean, that's if that's not what talent gets you, yeah, I don't yeah. know what is. Yeah. Yeah, and a tough, tough era as well. Anyway, but back to your five with, with Sampras, I think. No, my, my five was Borg, but um, I, I was – I realize I only listed nine. No, oh, I see, I see. And so I was doing Agassi at, do, at do you think? Do you think that um, Djokovic is a, just a better version of Agassi in terms of the style of play, not necessarily the personality, or, or is Rafa the better version of Agassi? I think uh, neither. I think um, Rafa is his own animal, and Djokovic is the better Lendl. Okay. It's a great, great, great analogy. We'll get there. We'll get there. If, assuming you guys may have thrown those those couple into your list. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <Yeah. assuming>. <laughs> <laughs> who, who was your five, Mark? I had I had Sampras. I had Sampras. Uh, you know, he's a little bit like Richard Nixon. I think history does. <laughs> even though he made history while he was playing, I think history makes him look even better because of the smoothness of his play, the... the um, total lack of off-court controversy, even just no ability. Hey, he, I mean, he, he was a bad tipper. Ah, that's true. But we don't, we don't well, in, in public, maybe, you know, behind the scenes, he sent all those valets or the waitresses a bunch of money. You just never know. So maybe just to, he never really liked to show his hand anyway. So maybe it's a case of that. Maybe it was disguised identity. He didn't want people to think, oh, this person gave a, you know, four dollars to the waitress. Maybe it's Pete Sampras, but anyway, uh, yeah, he he did a great job of just. Uh, I honestly think Sampras would be considered greater than he like is now if he had somebody who pushed them. Because Agassi was his biggest rival, but Sampras was much better than Agassi. So it's like the big three right now have each other to push them, whereas Sampras was just better than everyone in the nineties. But he didn't have a clay court game. Yeah. But he didn't. But he didn't. He never made that a priority. Yeah. So he couldn't, and that that would have been the reason to push himself, because I don't even think he ever made the finals of the French. Yeah, I think the semis is as far as he got. And uh, so I think that in the, I agree with you there. Um, he maxed out. Even if he was pushed, he would have won Wimbledon almost as many times as he did. But he could have pushed. He could have pushed. He could have said, "I'm going to commit to being a great all court player." But he would sort of take those two months off. It was just glorified warm up for Wimbledon. Yeah, he also one when I when I look back at Sampras clips, um, the things that stand out his serve he might have the greatest serve ever, and uh, second thing is his running forehand was insane. Like was disgusting. Yeah, he was. Um, he might have been the best athlete like ever to play the game. Um, You're just I mean, talking about his vertical, though, right? His ability to jump, like, yeah, I mean, feet Yeah, it's like elastic athleticism. <laughs> I mean, all of these guys were great athletes. Like, Borg has a case for being greatest athlete. All of the big three. But, like, Sampras' athleticism really uh, jumps out when you watch his, like, highlights. Yeah, and it was a slightly different sport then. I'm not sure. Lendl was like, and maybe that's one reason why you guys rightly put him higher up in your rankings. He was one of the few, I understand grass, he didn't go off the goal, eventually he gave it a shot, but 
Lendl seemed like the only player maybe of that, that 20 years, you know, who was in it to win it from, from January until November. Whereas the other players would sort of pick their two, three tournaments, uh, two, three grand slams and focus on that. Sampras is a little bit of a victim of that. He probably could have won the French once or twice. He certainly could have won the Australian more if he really wanted to. He kept making the finals of the U.S. Open. It was almost as like he was holding us, like he was almost happy to see Hubert beat him in a way. Like, hey, I respect Hubert. Hey, he gets his grand slam. A little bit with Safin as well. He was surprisingly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, gracious sometimes, I think, at the U.S. Open with some of those finals. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, if he had, like, really pushed it on, I think if he were born now, if he, if he were in this big three era, like, uh, yeah, he would have, he would have had no choice but to, like, grow a clay court game, because, yeah, um, he wouldn't want to be the fourth, he wouldn't want to be where Andy Murray ended up being, um, but yeah, um, Peter, who do you have at four? I, I have Pistol Pete, the man experienced the no no what's... name by no name bias there whatsoever, none at all, none. The man none. experienced being the best looking player on tour, the man <laughs> being the worst looking player on tour, <laughs> and the he, and more importantly, you watch him play, and it's like he was he's like in a zen state on the court. He. It's like there is no place he would rather be. He's like he's he's like so locked in, but it's not in like an intense way. It's in a, <laughs> in a this is what I'm supposed to be doing kind of way, and um, it's just like even even some of his strokes that aren't natural seem natural because of the way he's doing it. Like his backhand is a little awkward, but. It, Somehow it's because Sampras is like so Sampras, it doesn't like come across as awkward. And his his forehand is ridiculous. Um, he's got fourteen majors. He's got that rotation in his box. He's got he's got uh, he he's just got like so much game, like so much game. Um, and it's the it's the kind of thing where if you um, you, you watch him play, and you, you look at him, and you think he's beatable, but then you see him just cruise through pretty much every other player in his generation, and you're like, oh, wait, no. Uh, he's, he's, like, nobody's got what it takes to beat him. And, and uh, it would be really, I would be very curious about how he would perform in the Big Three era. Because it's just like his ground game just doesn't stack up to Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. But at the same time, like, how do we really know? Um, like, he, he, he cruised through Agassi during Agassi's prime. And Agassi was a force, um, even, even in his later career against some of the, the big three players. And um, I guess... Uh, his also mental, his mental toughness... He was such a good competitor. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that uh, I think Sampras is actually underappreciated, to be honest. Um, he was the one who ended McEnroe. Like McEnroe was still like kicking around, and then Sampras came along and like just stomped on him. 
Uh, he, he was the one who, it, it was like a free fall for a while between him, Agassi, and Courier, and he just took a hold of that generation and ran with it. Yeah. The interesting thing about him, and yeah, he is—he was the gold standard of that generation. Is that, you know, I think he was so secretly competitive. He only wanted to exit the sport after winning a Grand Slam. You know, these guys are winning Grand Slams at the age past. I think he retired at 32. There was some more tennis fuel in the tank. It's interesting that he chose to retire when he did, because he probably had a couple more, at least three or four more majors in him. So who, who was um, in more need of shaving his head at 32, uh, Sampras or Nadal? Sampras. Sampras, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nadal can't get away. People will think Nadal is sick. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. So um, at, at number four, I got Rock and Rod Laver. I had never watched him play. I really know nothing about him. <laughs> I'm just going to put him there because everybody else will put him there. So I'm just, that's, that's my version of, um, you know, following the, 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 the physical distancing lockdown. I'm just going, go, going with the flow. That, that's what the Centers for Disease Control said is number four, and I'm just going with it. You should look up the uh, 1970 Wimbledon final on YouTube. <laughs> No, it's actually fun to watch. It's I think it's Newcomb versus Labor. It's either sixty nine or seventy. Uh, At first, I have to watch thirty six episodes of Love Island. I need to finish the Tiger King, and then when I do that, uh, it'll be third on my list. All right, uh, I have Borg at number four. Uh, yeah, his dominance was like they didn't. If he had played the Australian Open, like who knows how many majors he would have won. Like uh, he was just. The sec he probably had the second most dominant stretch ever probably behind like Djokovic, um, and yeah, like uh, I mean, you've all touched on what he, how amazing he was, but yeah, I think he does might he have also been get like the award. Does he get the award for being the biggest pussy in the history of Grand Slam winners as well for retiring when he did? Yeah, I mean, if you don't mind me, I don't usually get so crude, but I'm just wondering, you know, where, where's the flip side of it? Yeah, like what the fuck. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think he might have been the the first like real like physically imposing like athlete on uh, on tour. Um, so he might have changed the sport that way. Um, but yeah, uh, all right. So we're 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 up to three. So uh, I'm just Pick I'm assuming. I'm assuming everyone has Nadal, Djokovic, and Wawrinka um, as their top three. I didn't get Djokovic in there. Actually, I got, I got Stam for sure. I, got, I have uh, uh, Murray and Nadal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was actually trying to figure out how to squeeze Murray into this thing, but yeah, so was I. I just top, couldn't top bump. I just couldn't bump Agassi for him. Just make 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 Murray the best best great best player from Great Britain. He can win that category. <laughs> so are we doing number three now? Yeah. Let's do number three. All right. I'll, who, I'll go. I'll go. Uh, <laughs> this was tough for me. I have Nadal. Yeah, I so do I. That, uh, I think that he's my favorite player ever. He's the one who's made this generation what it is. He's Federer's number one rival. He's Djokovic's number one rival. He's he's who pretty much every contemporary says 
is the toughest person to play because of his mentality. And I think um, even though he's not the greatest ever, he is um, the linchpin to the greatest generation ever. Um, he's got the greatest record ever in terms of the, the French Open titles. And um, he's got some of the most amazing, uh, most amazing just he, – he, he is one of one. He is one of a kind. Yeah, yeah. He just – the way he hits the ball, no one's ever going to hit the ball like that again. His forehand is just unbelievable. Um, I think that it, imagine if he had had a, had a slightly better serve. Like imagine what that would be like. Um, I think it's pretty incredible how he's changed his game over the years. Because you watch Young Nadal, and, and no backhand, and he's the fastest person you've ever seen on a tennis court. But then when he turned like twenty nine, thirty. He had a couple of slump years because he had to figure out how to how to win without being the fastest player anymore. And now you watch him play, and he's still physically imposing with his strength, but he's not like running around like he used to. And just think about the talent it takes to change your game so dramatically um, and still stay at the top. Yeah. I also think, uh, okay, everybody knows about his clay court success. He has as many um, non-clay grand slams as McEnroe. Um, and, yeah, I had Nadal at three as well. But, uh, okay, if he had won, if the French Open were being played in June and he had won it, he would be at 20 tied with Federer, and he, he would have been number one on my list. Um, he would have been number two, on, yeah. Yeah, and so it's just like uh, – that's how razor thin the margin is. Like uh, these guys are so like, it's it's not really three two one. It's one a one b one c. Um, but yeah, at the moment, I think Nadal uh, Nadal's resume is slightly uh, worse than Djokovic's and Federer's. So I, I have the Joker at number three, and only because I feel like he's not quite as accomplished in Grand Slams on his weakest surface as Nadal is on his weakest surface, which would be grass. Um, Nadal has, am I correct in saying that he's lost, he's made the Wimbledon final five times and won it twice, or has he made the final six times and won it twice? Um, um, I think we should count that Djokovic Nadal semifinal as a final because the Anderson. Yeah, I think that's what I'm doing. I think that's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I'm just I'm I'm giving Nadal a slight edge there, not because of the head to head. I think uh, not even necessarily because of the style of game, but because Nadal has experienced more injuries. Not not the made up stuff. Not the stuff that gets him to miss a Masters 1000. I mean, the real stuff. Uh, and then on top of that, I feel like there's a couple Grand Slams where he almost, he'll never let anybody win, but he didn't go for the kill in the fifth set when he could have. For whatever reason, he'll always go for the kill, but I feel like there were one or two Aussies where he didn't go for the kill, and maybe once or twice, even in the semis at Wimbledon, where he didn't go for the kill for whatever reason. I think he's even a nicer person. I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just not not um, diagnosing the loss the way I should be. 
but I feel like he left some on the table in part because at that point he didn't have the fifth set killer instinct for whatever reason. But maybe it's because he worked so hard in the rest of the match to get there. I don't know. So I, I'm, I'm just putting Djokovic a little bit behind the doll right now. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, who do you have? But you, but you guys are more astute observers of Rafa than I am. But I, I just feel like that the 2012 Aussie could have easily been his. Um, the Aussie against Fed in the finals could have easily been his. Um, the wrist injury he had at, at the French and we dropped out in the third round. Might have won the whole thing if he stuck with it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, he could easily that's, have that's 20. That's a really points. good point. Like, Nadal has had some of the most heartbreaking losses in the history of Grand Slams, and he's still at 19. Um, whereas with Djokovic, it seems like every single really tight, huge moment, he pulls it out. And I think that um, you can interpret that two ways. You can say, all right, Djokovic has gotten a little lucky with how he's how the dice have rolled in those coin flips. Um, or you can say that, man, this guy just has the stuff in the biggest moments, and that's the way I'm interpreting it. Like, yeah, you I, may be right. I, I think that that Aussie Open in 2012 that lasted six hours is the greatest match of all time. Um, that's my opinion. Um, I think that uh, it, is, it was a heartbreaker for Nadal, but I do think that Djokovic wins that fifth set eight out of ten times. Um, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And, and uh, so at number two, I actually have Roger Federer. Um, I think he's, he's, he is, uh, you just can't argue with his stats. Like, he is, he's got every record. His longevity is amazing. Um, he, I mean, he doesn't have every record, but he has, like, most, most uh, awesome records. Um, but the reason I just don't have him at number one is, a, his head-to-head -head against his contemporaries, and I just think he stacked his Grand Slam record before Nadal and Djokovic were actually mm. um, in, were actually content. Like, he had, he, I think he won 12 or 13 majors before Nadal won his first, um, or won his second, or won his, like, first non-French. Or, I, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that sounds right. right. It's, probably, it's probably the second thing you said, the first non-French, yeah. But, and, and and that was when he was actually a real contender. Um, and Djokovic, it took Djokovic like two or three years later to become a real contender. And meanwhile, uh, I mean, I have him ahead of Nadal just because I think um, Federer's stats and longevity merit that. But I also, I just think um, Djokovic... We can get more into Joe. I just think Federer, I think the degree of difficulty of what Federer has done is not as high as the degree of difficulty for what Djokovic has done. Yeah, I just, I sort of, I, so I had them the, the other way around. I had Federer at one, Djokovic at two, um, where with the asterisk that I believe Djokovic will end up being number one. Like, I'm just sort of assuming tennis stops now forever and sure. uh and Federer's resume is unparalleled like I think what sets Federer apart is just what he's done past the age of 35 like uh it's outrageous yeah. um and 
And yeah, um, Djokovic has the head-to-head records against everyone. He's probably going to play until like 38 or 40 just because of how well he takes care of his body. Um, yeah, he's got to really widen that gap. Yeah, and but the other thing is like he relies so much on like uh, Djokovic relies so much on like elasticity in his movement, and that's one of the things that disappears when you get older. So it's unclear if his how well his game is going to age, though it probably will age pretty well. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of just like body of work, um, Fed's oeuvre is uh. Just uh, there's just more on it than Djokovic is right now. Even though, like, I guess Djokovic has the head-to-head and like the inside track on eventually reigning. Um, and I think uh, with Rafa versus those, like, if Rafa ends up with the most Grand Slams of the three, then he'll be number one. But I think like, um, yeah, his uh, his head-to-head against Djokovic is just. I actually think it will be hard for Rafa to uh, end up ahead of Djokovic just because they're basically a year apart in age. Um, so you so they're smack in the middle of the same era. And uh, Djokovic just was the better player. Um, like, I'm a Rafa fan, and I was always dreading a final yeah. against Djokovic. I was always rooting for someone else to beat Djokovic. Whereas I can imagine <laughs> being a Djokovic fan and hoping that it's Rafa in the finals so that I can prove it yet again. The same way, like, as a Rafa fan, we were always hoping for Federer in the finals so Rafa could prove it yet again. You know, it's, that, it's pretty arbitrary. I mean, I guess a strong case can be made for all three of them. I just had, I just went by Grand Slam numbers, so I did have Joker, Rafa, Fed at number one. A couple of things about Fed, I think he's done more for the sport off the court than any of those three. Uh, he, um, he's had, how many Grand Slams has he missed in the last 20 years? Maybe two? I don't even know, or three, maybe? Yeah, his health I thought what he did, I thought what he did at the, how many times he made the finals of the French? Six, five, seven? Close to it? Probably five. Let's go with five. Well, he lost to Nadal four times in a row, then he won, and then I think he ended up losing to Nadal again after that. So let's say six, actually. Uh, I thought what he did at the French last year was absurd. Um, I don't think he had played on, in, on clay at all for like three, four years. He said he wanted to get X amount of matches in in the warm-up tournaments. He did that. I think he may have defaulted in both or at least one. You know, just knowing he got his matches in. He gets to the French. The court's cold, so it's playing a little slow anyway. And he, he beat Stan. He beat some other good players. He played a solid three sets against... Rafa in the seventies. Rafa was not going to lose that tournament. Um, he just showed that he he has the gift of turning it on whenever he wants. Uh, he'll probably play until he's forty two. I think now forty one or forty two and play high level tennis. Easily could have won Wimbledon last year. He was a first serve away from winning. So again, like uh, your your term razor thin margin. It's the thinnest of razors there. But I give him just a slight edge, mainly because I think he's done a little bit more on all the surfaces for longer than the other two have. Yeah, that's fair. You brought up Stan's name. Um, here's a question. Who's the greatest player ever to be named Stan? Uh, Stan Wawrinka or Stan Smith? Or what about Stan Lee? Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So so I wanna I wanna voice my Djokovic argument a little I wanna flesh it out a little more. I mentioned he had the highest degree of difficulty ever. I just don't see that much of a difference between seventeen and twenty majors. I think it's just an arbitrary number. Um and I think the the quality of the major victories and I think the um caliber of the competition really matters a lot. I think Phil's point about Nadal and Djokovic being squarely in the middle of each other's prime, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a point that can't be overemphasized. And, and, um, and uh, what is it? I think over 10% of Djokovic's matches he's ever played have been against either Federer or Nadal. Um, if, if you're talking about – he's got by far, by far – the highest quality of opponent ever um, by ELO rating and by just mm. however you slice it. Um, he is, he has done something that he, that he shouldn't have been able to do. Mm. Um, like Nadal and Federer already had each <laughs> other and you saw nobody else could get to that level except Djokovic was able not only to will himself to their, True. but um, during the toughest era of tennis history, he was he was the he was the top dog. He was the one nobody wanted to see. Um, he was the one who the others were hoping lost <laughs> and got to the final. And it's just uh, at the end of the day, you got to take the guy who you would actually bet on in a tennis match. Like these guys are contemporaries, and if Nadal at his best is Djokovic at his best and Federer at his best. Or playing around Robin, I'm taking Djokovic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it's hard to disagree with. Like I said, a compelling argument be made forever for each of them. Uh, I guess I. It's hard. I mean, it's been whatever metric we're, we're using as far as making that determination. He's been the best of the three players. I think that's that sort of, you know, in terms of the dominance of the last eleven years. He's dominated. He's probably won, I don't know, even in the Masters 1000s, he's dominated them. Both of those players fear him. He does not fear both of those players. You know, he gives Rafa, not fits on clay, but he can make it extremely difficult for Rafa to win on clay, whereas um, Rafa does not make it as difficult for Djokovic to win on hard courts. Fed the same. Fed may be equal to Djokovic on grass. Djokovic just plays the bigger sets better. Is it is it right that Djokovic has won all three of his finals in, in Wimbledon against Fed in the fifth set, or one of them was the four sets? Um, I'm not sure about that. I know that at least two of them were in five sets. One of them, he pulled a rabbit out of the hat. Federer had <laughs> points on his serve. Um, yeah. Djokovic is a one-two semis or later matches against Federer, maybe it was three actually, where Federer has had match point on his serve in the fifth set. It's just the guy is unreal in the big moments. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, rehash our top tens. So for me, it was Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Borg, Laver, Sampras, Lendl, McEnroe, Connors, Agassi. Peter? I had um, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, Sampras, Borg, Lendl, uh, McEnroe, 
um, who was my, or no, Lendl, uh, I know Agassiz Rafter was my 910. Um, so he went the other way. I have Sofer, Sofer, Elman. Uh, that's 13, uh, 13, 12, 11, tied for 10. I got Agassi and Mendel. Nine, Connors. Eight, Rosewall. Seven, McEnroe. Six, Borg. Five, Sampras. Four, Laver. Three, Joker. Oh, you guys somewhat talked me out of it already. <laughs> Two, Rafa, and number one, Roger. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there are, like, distinct tiers here. Like, with Federer, Nadal, Djokovic is tier one, and then, like, Borg and Sampras, you can have them in either order. And then, like, I guess Lendl is a little bit ahead of the other, like, Amer like Connors, Agassi, McEnroe. It's like that's sort of a level. And then you just put in Laver wherever you want to put him because nobody you actually wish knows. you could put in your top 10? Probably wouldn't even make your top 15, but just for overachieving. Who do you wish? Uh, Raph, I know Peter did a little bit, or maybe he underachieved off the court. We don't know about Raph. <laughs> Who would you like to just put in there just for the sake that they, they got more hardware than than their talent um, should have led them to get? Um, I mean, I don't think Murray underachieved, but I wish I had been able to put him in there. Uh, another one is Del Potro. I think he just got a ton of bad luck in his career. Um, Edberg, uh, his stats, I mean, I never... I was never really there for the Edberg uh, era, but he's got some pretty good stats. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty happy Becker didn't crack the list. I mean, if if Becker had an American flag next to his name, like, and I guess he had a German flag next to his name, their legacies would just be inverted. Yeah. So the, there are a few feel-good ones for me. Um, of the old dogs, I think... I actually think Arthur Ashe would be the one who would, uh, would, is the one who, even though his stats don't, um, don't uh, merit him to be in the top 10 or 15, uh, you still gotta, you, you, you still want him to be on the list. Um, I think, uh, I think Guga was really fun. He obviously does not deserve to be on this list, but he would be a fun one just to put in there. And, uh, and, uh, even, even Isovich, uh, as well. But, um, I think actually, uh, Stan is really the, Stan Wawrinka is the, the one who's like the real, like, how the fuck do you rank this guy person? Because his, 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 uh, his peak of the peak of his powers is like on par with the three greatest of all time. He's won three grand slams and one masters 1000. Yeah, that, that's absurd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mark, what about you? Our next pod will be our honorable mention list. And whatever, whatever reason we, we, you know, whatever, whatever is, are the ingredients for honorable mention? Maybe we'll do that in the, uh, and we can have we can certainly have plenty of variables, including the Pat Rafter factor, but we can definitely have our honorable mentions. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, well, listeners, that about does it for us. This was slightly longer podcast than usual, but I mean, you have the time. So and uh, we talk, and we spoke about Pat Rafter. Do not forget, P uh, <laughs> Phil. We wish you luck with your Pat Raftering. 
with your civil disobedience and how <laughs> And we hope your how raftering is, is successful. Please keep us posted. I don't think Rafter ever had to uh, grovel the way I do. <laughs> Phil, don't, don't short sell yourself. There, you should not have any... Um, do not undermine the power of Pat Raftering, okay? <laughs> Anyways, thanks for listening. And if you made it this far, uh, <laughs> follow us at the uh, at Doubles Alley Pod on Twitter and uh, rate us and give us a five star review. Without further ado, <laughs> La Bomba. <laughs> <laughs>